Well, uh, certainly was fun, Christmas in July. Um, I believe there's um, some incriminating video around the place of various karaoke um, uh, singers. So um, you could ask people, and maybe you could see something interesting. Um, actually, I have never seen Kirsty laugh so much as when Frank was singing. She was in absolute hysterics, your poor husband. <laughs> But it was a lot of fun, <clears throat> and I do want to just thank everyone who, um, who served. I mean, it just actually made it um, a joy to do, and um, uh, thanks particularly again to Gil, who did so much in the background, um, just brilliant. And there are just so many in that community who've been blessed as a result, and really, uh, you know, we need to keep praying that those seeds that were planted as they've connected with Grace City Church and with many of us, it was another opportunity for God to take them a step further in their journey of faith. And so let's keep praying and asking God to do that and to keep um, taking people forward. So um, Gift Day, uh, Miles did a great job last week uh, really focusing us on our amazing, generous, and loving gods that we serve, and uh, he really focused us on God and his generosity to encourage us in our own generosity. And uh, so then today, as we come to the gift day, I get the job of um, asking you to give us all your money. <laughs> you can laugh at that one, okay? It was a joke. <laughs> um, and there are many good reasons uh, why we should give, uh, you know, and I think Australians are particularly good at giving, uh, talking generally. It's a nation that actually gives to lots of good causes, and um, we've got, you know, six great causes uh, to give to, so there's, there's reason, you know, enough maybe to give uh, because they're good causes. Maybe some of them particularly touch your heart, uh, and that would be different for different people. Donna was here talking about Burundi and the poor. Maybe that really grips your heart. Maybe domestic violence uh, really grips your heart. And so there can be different things that we connect with, and that makes us think, yeah, okay, we want to give. <clears throat> Obviously, giving of our finance is a, a right and godly thing to do, uh, is another good reason. Uh, and as we know, God has given us so much, and we should be free to uh, give out of what He has given us. So there are plenty of good reasons. And as I said, the world also gives. Uh, it's not just Christians. I think Christians, um, you know, probably give more, um, but... But um, the world can be pretty good at giving. And so the question is, well, uh, are we just a bit better than the world, that we give to causes a bit more than others? Uh, that's, if that's the answer, well, I think we're kind of missing it. So what I want to look at, I really felt God speak about us considering a more fundamental uh, point of view that we need to consider rather than just... Um, thinking about money. <clears throat> but let me take a step back from that for a moment. Um, a while ago, uh, my daughter Rachel uh, came to me and said, oh, Dad, as while well, we were busy with the Gideon series, oh, Dad, what's the next preaching series? And I was like, it's an unusual question for Rachel to be asking me. Uh, she doesn't normally worry about what we're next uh, preaching on. Uh, so I said, well, I don't know, we, we, we don't know yet, you know, we're still not sure where we'll go next, 
And um, so she said, well, I think uh, we should preach on the radical church, and we should preach about uh, the gifts we've got and spiritual gifts we've got and how we live as the radical church. So I thought, wow, well, that's, that's amazing. That's really encouraging to hear that's coming from her. Uh, and at the same time, um, Miles and Kate had felt really stirred uh, about uh, doing a preaching series on the church. And uh, so they had started work on a bit of an outline of what that could look like. They were really feeling that on their heart. Uh, as we were going through, Gideon was kind of highlighting some of these things of uh, gifts and stepping up. And then we had uh, Steve Thompson uh, bring us that great settle-in session where we explored and, and were challenged about being mobilized and our spiritual gifts. So, so all of these things really have stirred us to think, yeah, actually we need to be considering what is the radical church? What is the radical church? Now, I don't actually like, uh, in one sense, using those two words, because there is no other type of church than a radical church. So it's a tautology, actually. It's saying the same thing. Radical and church it actually is saying the same thing. A church that isn't radical, actually, it's, it's not the church. So I don't like it from that point of view, but actually it's also a really good reminder for us that we are, as the church, we are radical. And so uh, the radical church is a good reminder for us. Grace City Church is not just a comfortable, uh, safe organization, but actually you are a radical bunch of terrorists sent by God into an evil world. They're words that we don't normally use, and maybe they feel uncomfortable, but actually they describe what the church is. The church is this uh, sent by God's people out into a world that is uh, run by Satan and his dominions. So the radical church is a good thing for us to consider. So that's what we want to look at over the next, really, period. We're going to do it in different ways. Uh, we're going to pick up different themes. We're going to look at how we can implement that. Uh, so we'll start to pick that up over the next few weeks and build to uh, the community barbecue. Uh, we'll be doing things on worship, on gifts. Uh, so that's kind of where we are going. But let me get back to this a fundamental point of view that I think we need to look at tonight, where I think we need to be challenged. Uh, and I was really encouraged as we were praying before the service, Greg, uh, Greg brought this picture of a tree, and he saw a big tree, uh, big branches, a trunk providing shade. Uh, but then he said the key was uh, the, the root ball underneath, that actually that's where the strength was. The strength was in uh, the roots, the part you don't see below the ground. And I found that really encouraging as we look at this because it's about what we don't see. So like the giving, for example, I mean, that's something you do see. That's like it's out there. But, but that is affected by what is in the root, yeah, where we're at, where we based, what's uh, fundamentally in us. So I want us to consider that tonight. Firstly, let's 
uh, consider a proverb, Proverbs 1.7. You know this one. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You got it. Thanks, guys. So what is the fear of the Lord? What is the fear of the Lord, this thing that is so important? Well, it's not the fear of punishment. That's what it isn't. It's not the fear of punishment. It's not. Uh, fear of punishment brings dread. It brings uh, uh, a negative connotation. It's, it's a fear that doesn't do anything for us except paralyze us. So what is this fear of the, the Lord then? Well, it's a standing in awe of God. Fear of the Lord is standing in awe of God and then with the resultant fear of doing anything to grieve or dishonor this God that we are in awe of. And the more we admire, the more we worship and praise Him and stand in wonder for who He is, the more the fear of the Lord increases, the more we stand in awe, the more we are amazed at God. And as we're amazed at Him, we want to live like He wants us to live. We want to be more like Him. We don't want to uh, do the wrong thing. So sin is dealt with in our lives because of the awe we have for God, not because we're in dread of punishment. It's a totally different thing. And that affects our whole life, and it means that, in fact, there are only two ways of thinking about or living your life. The first one is to let the Lord be your fear. So is the Lord your fear? Is He the very center of your life? Does everything revolve around Him? If not, if that's not the case, then something else will be. Something else will be the center Either God's Word will be the unquestionable arbiter of truth in your life, or something else will serve that function. Things like public opinion, our own feelings, human scientific reasoning. We can put more store in those things, and they then become the arbiter of truth in our life, or it's God's Word, what God says, is the arbiter of truth in our life. It can't be both. It's one or the other. We either say, yes, it's you, God, or it's something else. And if we don't make a decision, what we're going to find is it's going to be something else. Something else is going to uh, become uh, truth for us. Either God and your relationship with Him will be the thing you esteem most, and that means that every single thing will be evaluated in the light of your relationship with God, or your relationship to some other thing, maybe like money, will define your reality. So what defines your reality? Is it God? Is He the center and everything else is submitted to Him? Or is there something else that your lifestyle maybe, money, job, all the purpose you find there, are those the things that define your life or is it God? For God to be truly God in your life, He must define every other part of your life. He's not meant to just own Sundays and quiet times. 
we need to submit every thought and plan to God for Him to own, not just rubber stamp, but for Him to own. So here's a key question we can ask ourselves that can help us know where we are at with this. This is the question. Can you understand the world and yourself without reference to God or His Word? Okay? Can you understand the world? Does the, okay, here's another way of putting it. Does your life and what you do make sense without God? Or another way, have you thoughtfully rejected the world's wisdom? These are good questions to ask. They're all saying the same thing. They're saying, well, does your life make sense if you don't consider God? Does your life still make sense? Does everything still fit together and work out for you? It's such an important question. Or does everything in our life depend on God and who He is and our relationship with Him? Does that is that the absolute center? Does that cause everything else to find its place? And as we put God first, we find everything else falls in line and takes its place. Or are there things that are raising their heads in your life and saying, well, actually, this is, this is the thing that's defining my life in some other way? It's a huge challenge for us. What is our life about? <clears throat> Often our lack of living in the fear of the Lord is because we're just drifting along in the river of life circumstances. And Joel Moody had a great picture he'd sent me. He had a picture of the circumstances of our life, you know, all the stuff that just happens, being like a river that can totally sweep us away and carry us away from God's purposes. And sometimes we can be in that kind of place. Life can just feel overwhelming with all the stuff and things that have to happen. Uh, and whether it's you at school, uni, and everything that needs to be done there, whether you've got jobs, whether you're retired, uh, any stage of life, we can feel overwhelmed by the stuff of life, the circumstances of life. And it's like a river, we step into it and we find we've got all these things to do and it can sweep us away and take us on a journey that actually is not where God wants us to go. And at times like that, we need to choose to freshly submit to God. I want us to jump quickly to a scene in the Bible that highlights this for us and is helpfully also about money. So in the Gospel of Mark, in chapter 12, we come across a story uh, that might make us feel uncomfortable when we consider it, but it's an account, an account of someone who has fully embraced what I've been talking about, that God is the one that shapes everything else in our lives. So let's read Mark 12, 41 to 44. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. It's an amazing little story. 
one that we know well, probably one we don't really like to read that much. Now, there are two reasons, I think, why it makes us feel uncomfortable. The first reason is because there's Jesus purposefully and without apology watching what people are putting into the offering. And we know, don't we, that Jesus sees everything we do. He knows our thoughts. He knows our minds. But that can feel a bit abstract. But the thought of him actually sitting there as a real person watching what was going in the offering kind of brings it home again. And the other thing is that we don't actually see, Scripture doesn't tell us what happened to the widow. There's nothing about her other than that. We don't know what happened next. Did Jesus send someone uh, to send her a message? And so she got a message saying, well done, you gave everything you had. Did she get home? And actually, Jesus had performed a miracle, and on her bed was double what she put in. Or did she go hungry that night because she had given everything she had? We don't know. We don't know what happened next, and I think the Bible doesn't tell us that because actually it doesn't matter what happens after we give because we know God is faithful and we can trust Him. So that's not the important part of the story. So often, prosperity teaching that focuses on, well, what's going to happen afterwards? You're going to get double. You're going to get 10 times. You're going to get whatever. Well, actually, that's not important. We can trust God. He's faithful. But what is important is our heart when we gave. The second reason we can feel uncomfortable is because Jesus commends not the ones that gave most, but the one who gave everything. We can't wriggle out of it, that word, everything. Everything. She gave everything. And there's no other way to look at it. If we are disciples of Jesus, if we followers of Jesus, then He wants everything. And I'm not just talking about money, I'm talking about everything. Everything. Saying, Jesus, you're my Lord and Master, means that everything we have is His. He owns it, and we become stewards of whatever He wants to give us to look after. That includes our money, our possessions, our talents, our gifts. We now are stewards of those. We need to steward them as best we can. And when we learn to embrace this, and live in the reality of giving God everything, actually we find incredible freedom and peace. Striving and worry are removed. Somehow it doesn't make sense that when I give everything, surely I'm going to have to now work harder and strive, but actually no, because when we give everything to Jesus our whole lives, there's suddenly a release in us because we've said, God, you are my everything, and I'm going to trust you 100% with everything that I have, and what happens next is up to you. It's incredibly freeing, releasing, as we rely on the grace and mercy of God. And we find that actually our relationship with Jesus is the most important thing. And the wonderful thing is that is the one thing that no one, Satan, circumstances, nothing can take away from us. Everything else can be taken away. 
Everything else, our lives, everything we have can all be taken away, but who we are in Christ cannot be taken away. We don't have time to look at Romans 8, that wonderful verse is about nothing separating us from the love of God. But when we God give God everything, when we fear Him, we know a peace, a security, a joy, a freedom that doesn't compare with anything the world has to offer. There's much about life that is beyond our understanding. And certainly I know just where we've been as a family in recent days, that's been highlighted. There's so many questions that have no answers. But I want to be like Job, who at the end of all his torment, torment, this is what he says, Job 42, Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, he's saying to God, God, you asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? And then he says, surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. God, you said, listen now and I will speak. I'll question you and you shall answer me. And then Job says, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. And that's where he ends after all the torment he's been through. Isn't it wonderful that he ends understanding this God is way beyond anything he can understand. This huge God, big God who created everything we know. He's this massive God beyond our understanding. But knowing that actually is just not someone we've heard about. It's not just a head knowledge that we have. It's not just who we read about in a book. But he says, I've seen you. He ends. He knows God. And that's the biggest thing he's found in his life as everything has been stripped away, as he has dealt with difficulty and challenge and terrible time. His final place is knowing, but I've seen you, God, now. My relationship with you is firm and established. Everything else, it doesn't matter. So let's come to God And I would like us to use this opportunity to commit ourselves afresh to Him. If you wouldn't mind closing your eyes, let's just be before Him. I want us to have an opportunity now to commit ourselves afresh to God. Or maybe it's for the first time if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus. You've never said, you are my Lord and Master. But for those of us who have, who know we've been adopted as sons and daughters, maybe there are areas that have been growing up that we've been relying on. And we find, actually, we, we haven't been giving everything, living wholeheartedly for God. Maybe as I mentioned, life circumstances have kind of washed you away. And you just feel, actually, I feel out of control. Life is just too much. And God wants to bring you back. 
to having him at the very center defining every part of your life. So Lord, I wanna pray right now for each one of us. Lord, won't you come right now? You know where we're at. Lord, you know where our hearts lie. We don't see that on the outside, but you see it on the inside. You see that the roots under the tree. Lord, and I pray that you would come right now, Holy Spirit, bring us back to firmly set ourselves on you and you alone. Lord, I pray for those that feel swept away by circumstances. Lord, won't you arrest them, Lord? Won't you take hold of them out of that river and bring them onto the firm rock that is you, Lord? Come and do that, Lord. Those that have let other things grow up to be mountains in their lives, and they're putting their trust there instead of you. Lord, I pray right now that they'd be able to give you their lives afresh. Come and do that, Lord. We look to you, Holy Spirit. Bring us back in, Lord, firmly established, giving you everything, Lord. I wonder just while eyes are closed, if you would just like to indicate to God, maybe just put up a hand and say, God, I'm committing everything again to you. If you want to do that just as a signal to God, then just do that. Put your hands up. Thank you. That's great. Yes, Lord. We say yes, Lord. We say yes to you, Lord. We are everything. Yes, Lord. Lord, I know you see our hands. Lord, you see our desire to live like that again. But I thank you, Lord, that it's not about us having to work harder but it's about you, Holy Spirit, strengthening us, about us knowing your grace, your forgiveness, your mercy that brings us back to making you the very center of our lives. Thank you, Lord. Pour out your love and grace on each one, each one that's indicated they want to step again and be fully centered on you. Lord, come, Holy Spirit, strengthen, pour out your grace and love. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen.